The Athletic. Peter, you've added nothing. Cat dried. Day nine at the World Cup sees another two sides through, Portugal and Brazil, plus a game of the tournament contender in Cameroon, Serbia, and the week's biggest career comeback that didn't involve eating bits of camel, courtesy of Ghana. We'll be talking all of that, plus Tuesday's final games in groups A and B, with Iran taking on one of their biggest enemies, and then after Jürgen Klinsmann, USA, and England against Wales. It's totally at the World Cup, sponsored by LifeScoreBet. Hey, listener, thank you so much for joining us. It's totally at the World Cup. Day nine, we've just had in Qatar. Duncan Alexander's here. Hey, Duncan. Hello. All right. Sasha Gurinov's in as well. Hello, James. With your big book of notes, Sash. There. I have to warn you, listener, it's a big book of notes. We're also going to be hearing from Sam School and also Basil McDaddy on the, whew, one of the big games coming up on Tuesday. Carl Anker will be uh, erupting into the studio as well as soon as we mention G-H-A-N-A. Mm. Sasha, what's your moment of the day? I was thinking about my moment, and I'd say 100 minutes of Alexander Mitrovic passed like a moment for me. Oh, yeah? What a performance. Just loved everything, everything that he did today. His work today was fantastic. So my moment is 100 minutes of Mitrovic. All right. A little bit of artistic license there. What's your stat of the day, Duncan? Well, we've all sat through a lot of 10 o'clock time slots at this World Cup and with not that much action. And then today, Cameroon-Serbia was an all-time classic. 43% of all the goals scored in the early game came in this one today, the last one of the lot as well. I'm, I was kind of looking forward to that time slot disappearing, but now, now I'm quite sad and I want it back. It was also the first day with multiple five-goal games at the World Cup since uh, 1990. Which is extraordinary because that's a tournament that's famous for being low scoring. Mm. Crazy. Hey, you like stats. How about this one? Two games in, Brazil still haven't faced a shot on target. Ecuador have only faced one and that was actually a goal. It went in. So two matches into this tournament, you could say that both Alisson and Hernan Galindez, the Ecuador keeper, are yet to make a save. That's remarkable, isn't it? Anyway, let's hear about uh, Monday's results. This was Group H and Group G. Your favourite groups, I believe, in this World mm. Cup, Duncan. Is that right? Yeah? Yeah. Group G, that brought us that extraordinary 3-3 draw you were mentioning. Cameroon and Serbia there. Possibly game of the tournament so far. A little bit later on and a little bit less action-packed was Brazil's 1-0 victory over Switzerland. Casemiro, a fine goal there. And one that puts the Celis out through to the last 16 in Group H. There was a big, big, big win for Ghana. And Portugal were 2 0 winners over Uruguay. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Portugal, Uruguay, two goals. The first. Was it Ronaldo or was it Bruno? Well, it was given to both players at various points. Ronaldo certainly celebrated like it was his, but there was no change to the spin of the ball. So Bruno had... He was out wide on the left flank, crossed it in right-footed. Ronaldo leapt, as is his style, um, nodded his head. A bit like Alan Smith for Arsenal against Liverpool in the famous game in 1989. Did did he get a touch? We, We don't know, but he celebrated like he did. FIFA gave him the goal, then took it away. And I think my favourite thing about it is that because Bruno 
then scored another one from the penalty spot after Ronaldo had been substituted. Portugal's top scorer at this World Cup is a Manchester United player, like many people theorised. I thought you were going to say that after he got his second, Ali McCoy suggested that now he's got his goal, they might as well give the other one to Ronaldo. And then Bruno Fernandes hit the post. Yeah, so if, he, if he's given the other goal to, to Ronaldo in an act of kindness, then if he's on for a hat-trick, does he then take it back? And can you just give goal? Why not give it to Eusebio? Apparently you can. Yeah. Ronaldo, who was substituted off to a hail of booze, really, at the Luzal Stadium. I'm not sure if they were intended for him or Fernando Santos, more probably. What else did he contribute to the game? He did a nice little bit of skill with his shoulder. Yes. Which was okay. He had a free kick, which went nowhere near the goal. That's now 53 at World Cups and Euros, um, with one goal, obviously, the, the famous one against Spain in the last World Cup. But yeah, 53, not, not a great ratio. Um, it's He's playing okay, but they kind of do look a little bit better when he kind of goes off. So, Who looked good for Uruguay? I tell you, yeah, Uruguay look a lot better when Georgian Derrascaeta is on the pitch. He's a midfielder for Flamengo. Uh, there have been question marks raised as to why he didn't play in the first game. It's mystifying to me why he didn't start this match. As soon as he came on, there was certain idea, certain progression to that excellent Uruguay midfield, certain connection with the, with the strikers. And then he was popping up everywhere, really active mm. performance. Threw on goal, though. What was that finish? Mm. Yeah, don't hit the table too much, Castro. I understand the emotion of it. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking out for him in perhaps the next Uruguay game, he's the blonde fellow. And what position does he play? All of them. Number 10, everywhere. Right. Oh, everywhere. Okay. That name again, Sash? Georgian Derrascaeta. It's a thing of beauty, isn't it? Bruno Fernandes' second goal, by the way, coming from the penalty spot and a controversial spot kick, Asash. Yeah, because in that situation, I think with Jimenez, what is he supposed to do with his arm on which he's falling? So it was a handball. Handball he, through his falling, legs. He's falling on it. Mm. You were saying that there's been some kind of word well, that the, the VAR team I, maybe... I, th I think there are some opinions right. that this is the sort of call that VAR basically made an incorrect call as this is a natural position. I mean, he could have just sat down, might damage his coccyx. Or his perineum. Well, it was the classic de perineum, wasn't it? Because in the first half, arguably one of Uruguay's best chances, Betancourt shot... He's kind of slalom through using his sexy old school black boots. Jet to, black boots, yeah. Which kind of bamboozled the defenders. Like, what is this flurry of darkness? And weaved his way through, but then shot. And uh, Portugal's keeper just sat on it. Sat on it like a huge egg. Um, or a space it, hopper. Yeah. So in many ways, the, the perineum was the, was the key right. zone. of this. A pair game. of goals is how it finished anyway for Portugal. It leaves the group... Very nicely for Portugal. They're not definitely going to be group winners yet, but they are mathematically through to the last 16 on six points. Uruguay only have one alongside South Korea. And in second place, Ghana, the team that Uruguay are going to be facing next. Wow, that's going to be quite a matchup. Anyway, speaking of Ghana, 3-2 winners they were today over South Korea. And who's that I hear knocking? Carl Anker. From where we are here and outside, Alice we are getting outside. We are going to for a third goal. We are going to see. We are going to catch it right now. Jordan, are you? What going to happen? Gideon Mendes comes to Inaka Williams. Miss kick. And he's got a six. The next. All right, listener, here's a treat. It's Carl Anker unexpectedly bursting into the studio shouting, Ghana, Ghana. <laughs> what, what a day for you, Carl. A day that began with tension. I imagine you were on zero points ahead of that clash for South Korea. Defeat would have left you out of the competition. 
But luckily, what a great start. Jordan Ayew floating a ball in there for Mohamed Salizu. Woof. Fantastic. Jordan Ayew's name on the starting 11 brought much anxiety among Ghanaian fans who treat his appearance in the starting 11 as sort of a nepotistic choice. All right. But his delivery from wide areas today was mighty impressive and there's been quite a few written apologies right nepotistic because his dad abdi pale is part of what the coaching not no abdi pale is not part of the coaching staff but the, so the story is is that if he if it, jordan i wasn't jordan i if he was jordan anchor so we say right. uh, he would be nowhere near the the starting 11 i hear what you're saying and, and as you say how wrong you were because it wasn't long before whoop he's whipped in another one of across this time for mo kudos yes yes just a fantastic heading move the, the move the movement to get to connect with that w- was really good and you just sort of I think earlier in this tournament I said Mama Kudus is the best attacking player I've seen in the Ghana shirt for about 10 years and right. uh, you can really see that now uh, you, there was that proposed deal to take him to Everton in the summer which I'm, I'm mildly happy it didn't quite work out and also now I'm, I'm curious as to what Lampard was planning to do with Onana Iwobi and Kudus because that would have been a front midfield three Mm. Questions for another day, Carl, because at this point in today's match, this is, what, 156 minutes into their tournament, South Korea were yet to have a shot on target. But then they try one, they're 2-0 down, they try one, they decide they like it, and they score two goals in the space of 2 minutes 48 seconds. Boom. All of a sudden, you're back to 2-2. Yeah, yeah. They really worked into that space in front of uh, Tarek Lamptey, who was struggling at the aggression of the South Korean press and counter-press, the first goal in particular. Lamptey wins the ball, thinks he's safe, and is immediately seized upon by two Korean attackers, and the cross comes in. It's a fantastic cross. And I believe the Korean striker is up the better part Central. of six foot two, maybe six foot three. He's one of the taller players at the World Cup. And it's a thumping header. Mm. Absolutely thumping header. And again, Ghana can see two goals in the better space of three minutes, as they did against Portugal. And while I wear my Fitbit, most of the time and uh, my heart rate apparently was somewhere around 110 110 yeah okay well calming your heart rate Mokudas again yes after Inaki Williams had kind of scuffed his attempts at at the shot and then it falls to Kudas and it's 3-2 yes one of the uh, funnier assists I've seen in World Cup football Inaki Williams again slipping and Kudas graciously accepting and getting a left footed shot off I think what what really stands Kudus out is not only his press resistance. Eric Ten Hag first saw him at Ajax and then tried moving from a number 10 to a number 8 because he th- viewed him as really, really press resistant. But also, he's just got a wicked left-footed shot on him. He, the sky is the limit for him. Uh, and I'm sure Edwin van der Sar and other people at Ajax will be shielding phone calls from Premier League clubs in January, if not the summer. Didn't feel like that was going to be the end of the scoring, though. And when you're hanging on to a lead, a narrow lead, and you see the board go up and it says 10 minutes on it, Carl. Yes, I, I made many of the sweary noises that Tom Williams meant, made uh, during Wales's game against the USA. It was well, it's siege, aerial yeah. assault from South Korea. So just putting more balls and more balls and really, really working into that space that Tarek Lamptey was just overwhelmed. I quite like the fact that they replaced Na- uh, Lamptey with Odoi who's really old, but he played for the team and now plays in the Belgian league. I don't think he fed any better than Lamptey no. in closing down that space. So it felt a little bit of a desperate move by Ghana. But, you know, when you say, you know, it looked like there were going to be more goals, it felt to me it's also only going to be South Korean goals because I think the, the Kudus goal was the only shot and target Ghana had. Pretty much the only, 
attack they had in the second half. And I thought what was remarkable, and I just want, wanted about Ghana perspective, what did Ghana do not react to at halftime? Because it felt to me like South Korea suddenly the both fullbacks pushed on, made the pitch very wide, and it looked like just Ghana didn't have enough players to cover it. And the gap that was left was on the left. And uh, Kim Jong-soo just basically owned that left flank in the second half. Yeah, I think I think that's... If we're seeing something of this Ghana team, they're, they're the youngest squad, and also Ottawa is comparatively one of the younger managers in terms of senior games managed in terms of his national team. He's, he's got the playoffs against Nigeria to get to the World Cup, and now he's got the group stages. Uh, and I think he's these quick goals in succession are he's not quite figured out how to calm heads. You know, the, the, this World Cup has you know, the most impressive teams have seen managers basically say, right, we've got a goal, enough of our entertainment, let's make the next 10 minutes close down. Whereas Ottoado hasn't quite found the way to apply a handbrake to this Ghanaian side. And that's why you're seeing these weird helter-skelter five minutes. 10 minutes at the end, pressure, wave after wave of Korean attack. And then right at the end of what, 11 minutes, perhaps the most dramatic moment of all, South Korea earn a corner and Anthony Taylor blows the whistle on that yes. end of the game. Yes, Anthony Taylor, who has a, again, he's got a curious reputation in Ghana because obviously Ghana, huge Premier League watching crowd, uh, massive Chelsea fan base in Ghana, massive Manchester United fan base, massive Liverpool fan base and Spurs fan base. So Anthony Taylor is a known entity <laughs> in Ghanaian sports discourse. Uh, and between that, uh, decision to blow uh, before the South Korean corner and the decision to correctly say the uh, Andre Ayu ricochet didn't include uh, the first goal to be chalked off. I think Anthony Taylor's bought himself a an African Fanta if he ever decides to visit Accra. It was a remarkable close to the game. Uh, I think the South Korean coach was sent off. He was, yeah. Paolo uh, ben- well, they were furious, but I mean, there's no reason why he should have allowed it. They were already a minute past the... Minimum, yeah. yeah. They were furious. Uh, okay. Son was in tears, and, and one of the Ghanaian coaches decided that was yeah. a fantastic time to take a selfie with Son, <laughs> which just felt a bit mean. <laughs> Dear me. So... Where does this leave you? You go on to the match with Uruguay, the final group game, with that place in the last 16 up for grabs. Is there much history to that one? Of course there is. You said, I think, in the preview that winning that game, putting Uruguay out, was more important than qualifying yourselves. Possibly, because I, I thoroughly expected Ghana to be no have no chance of qualifying after two games. I, I thought... You know, Ghana's 61 ranking in the FIFA ranking and their team being really just really raw would would see them lose. But there's three, two, sorry, there's been two results now that have been 3-2. Hmm. Ghana, I didn't know how Ghana would score goals because their chance creation isn't the best, but they seem to really be maximising their set pieces. I think up until Kudus's goal, it's something like four, it was you know, the first four goals were scored off an XG of 1.44 which Ghanaian men aren't necessarily tall. Uh, Andrei is five foot nine, and yet has a fantastic record in the air as well. So uh, we've got some hops. Okay. Uh, and it seems like Ottoado's found a way to dominate one penalty area and uh, hang on for dear life in the other penalty area. But, but also have to compliment Ayu's deliveries, those heavy in-swingers, mm-hmm. um, right, right into the corridor of uncertainty. Uh, horrible to defend. And I think that maybe they also did the homework on the goalkeeper because goalkeeper should have come for both of the first two goals and he didn't. And it was basically, a, the second one was a repeat of the first guy. Dude, you just seen what just happened. He stayed on his line. There was talk on BBC at halftime about the Korean defensive line for the first goal being far too deep. And... Okay, uh, the second goal in particular, I think, is just fantastic movement from Kudus. Uh, and 
that is the sort of movement that means he will be playing Champions League football next season guaranteed whether it's at Ajax or if he decides to move somewhere else Duncan what do the numbers say about Ghana's chances well it's one of those games it's, it'll go down in Ghanaian football history but they scored with all three of their shots on target so it was fortunate but this is World Cup football and I think you know Korea did have so much pressure they put in 35 open play crosses which equaled a World Cup record I don't think you'd You'd probably go back and think maybe South Korea against Ghana would be sort of decided on aerial ability, but it but it was really, and there were some great headed goals. So it's not possibly a sustainable thing for Ghana, but it doesn't need to be in the World Cup. That's not how you do well in World Cups. So um, it's just you know, along with the Cameroon result, it's the highest scoring African day in in World Cup history. So um, that's remarkable. Yeah. You just ride your hot streak when you can ride the hot streak, and this is also a World Cup where you can get a real feel for game state and the effect of game state, not only you know, visibly yeah, on yeah. the players, but you are just seeing these quick goals and quick, in quick submission. But that is an interesting observation because, yeah, goals comes in, come in twos very often. It feels like maybe five or six times this has happened at this tournament. Mm. Duncan, why? Yeah. People aren't concentrating. It's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Like, this, is, this is perhaps the World Cup for the most. And forgive me because I'm doing this in podcast form, so you can only imagine the gesture, but everyone's sort of tapping their foreheads going switch on. The, right. They're all discombobulated. Uh, there's a lot of that going on from, yeah. from players uh, immediately after scoring and conceding, going switch on, tap your forehead. Because that's the... Well, I after, think- after um, South Korea equalised, there was a real sort of proper professional footballers debate on the pitch between the Ghanaians they were really, like, not just like oh who was picking them up but proper like right we need to do this this yep. and this yep. and, you know you can argue it worked in some respects and, and not in others but it was I think we're forgetting that you know club teams are so well rehearsed and, and do so much kind of training and, and preparing for games that international football is a bit sort of back to basics isn't it and everyone's kind of sort of making it up on the fly a little yeah. bit and I thought that was interesting today with Kim and Cho, Kim putting all those balls in for him. They play for the same club, John Book, in South Korea. So maybe they actually do have that understanding, yeah. as, as does the other fullback. Yeah, same with Spain, I suppose, with all, all the Barcelona. Indeed. Yeah. Nice. Carl, all right, Uruguay on Friday. Have a have very happy week in the meantime. <laughs> Thank you very much, James. Next up, listener, let's you and I do some talking about a little group called G. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Titanic Football Show, sponsored by LifeScore Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LifeScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spin once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LifeScoreBet.com or by downloading the LifeScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. 
It's over 18s only, and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Group G, everybody. Brazil top on six points. Switzerland, the team they beat today, 1-0. A second on three, and then you've got Cameroon and Serbia with a point apiece. What did you make of Brazil's performance? Big question here was how are they going to cope without Neymar? And the answer was up against a pretty tough to break down Switzerland side, not very well. On the other hand, you could look at it, they went up against a tough Switzerland side and won. Okay. Uh, 1-0 uh, without, as we could see today, you know, without Neymar, it, it is difficult, but they they did all the playing against a very defensive side. I can't really think of a single chance that Switzerland created. Also, Brazil were up against Serbia, who defended very, very well until they tore them apart. So I think overall, it's a good six points for Brazil, to be honest. Okay. You made a good point about Serbia, their treatment of Neymar and Karma. Yeah. Yes, they tried to kick him out of the game mm-hmm. and they kicked him out of their subsequent games. Uh, right, because, so all their rivals. Yeah, all, all the rivals that don't get to play against Neymar and uh, Serbia did, not particularly well, but I thought it was, was quite interesting. So he got fouled nine times, he got put out for two games. Did you see the stats when Messi caught up with Maradona? In terms of appearances, in those games, the 21 games they played in the World Cup, uh, I think Messi was fouled, say, 60 times. Maradona was fouled 152 times, seven times a game. So imagine the kicking he received every time he played the major tournament. I wrote a piece on those very numbers before the World Cup, and it's extraordinary that the three most fouled players in World Cup history in single editions are Maradona 86, followed by Maradona 90, followed by Maradona 82. I mean, it was a different ball game. It certainly was. Anyway, Neymar, we hope to see him back soon. In the meantime, Brazil basically sticking Fred in the midfield alongside Casemiro and pushing Paquitara up front. It was Casemiro who broke the deadlock against the reassuringly Swiss. Swiss, And what a wonderful goal it was from Casemiro. Yeah, I mean, Brazil actually took the lead illegally a bit earlier, Vinicius Jr. scoring. But, um, but <laughs> it's one of those... Richarlison was clearly offside, came back, was involved in the move, so VAR called it back correctly, and people were like, well, this is, what's the point? It's like, well, so it was definitely a sort of, um, we want common sense, not consistency sort of day. But it was a nice finish. Sometimes we want consistency, Duncan, and other times we don't, you know. I think what we're learning is people just want football officiated on vibe, so if they feel, you know, that they want this to happen, Brazil to score a sexy goal against the, frankly, you know, quite boring Swiss then you know who are VAR to intervene but yeah you're right Casemiro's eventual winner nothing wrong with it and a lovely volley actually, or half volley yeah with the outside of his boot as well uh, added a bit of extra pace uh, by Akanji's bum if you actually look at it closely it goes mm. up Akanji's bum and goes a bit further into the corner away from Zoma right that'll be Akanji on a scoring streak next up I'm sure Brazil through then the third team to qualify for the knockout stages alongside France and Portugal. There you go, Portugal. Technically, they were the second. They qualified before Portugal. That's also true. All right. But also in Group G, and a long time before any of this happened, at 10 a.m., as you were referencing earlier, there was an absolutely extraordinary match between Cameroon and Serbia. That's where we're heading next, listener. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Cameroon and Serbia. So this was the 10 o'clock kickoff, and as it started, both teams were on zero points. And there was also a bit of pre-game intrigue over the Cameroon keeper, Onana, pretty extrovert exponent of the goalkeeping arts, 
who apparently had been told by his manager, Rigobert Son, will you stop all that stuff where you go wandering upfield and have 43% of your touches outside the box and do some plain proper net minding? And Onana said, not on your Nelly, and found himself on a, so. yeah. on a plane home. It's, I mean, the, if there's one thing that the, is about World Cups is goalkeepers, outlandish goalkeeping. I mean, Sastra mm. this has a goalkeeper. Like, René Higuita in 1990 was one of the most iconic... Did his manager tell him, will you stop with his swords? I mean, he might have done after that Cameroon game when he got tackled <laughs> in the centre circle. But, I mean, Onana, I like him. And yeah. yeah, it's a shame. Cameroon, obviously, a country of iconic goalkeepers. Mm. Um, in in Onana's case, I mean, I can see Rigobert Song was a no-nonsense defender. I mean, it doesn't always translate, but I can sort of see him basically tell his goalkeeper to hoof it. But also, it, this kind of... Is, is kind of on par with usual Cameroon tournament behavior. They do have a lot of noise around their team. And uh, so it was actually surprising. I think this is, is this the first case of a player falling out of the manager of this tournament. It's taken too much days. He's the first to be on a plane home, I think, Sasha. Uh, and perhaps when he lands, maybe straight on the plane back because oh, really? there are rumors that he might be coming back. Oh. Mm. Uh, obviously helpful. A bit like Trevor Sinclair in 2002. He went back and forth <laughs> to Japan many times. <laughs> Very nice. Anyway, he missed out on the game against Serbia, which is a shame because it was terrific fun, and he might have had a bit of a bearing on it. He was replaced in between the posts by Devis Ipasi, who plays his football in Saudi Arabia. He might have had a bearing on this game, a game which saw Serbia hit the post first of all, but then Cameroon taking the lead, pretty much against the runner play, eh? Uh, yeah, completely. I mean, I thought Sir, Sir, we saw with Serbia today how they could play when Filip Kostic is there, making the runs down the left, using the width of the pitch. And I think... Uh, I mean, Zhivkovic on the other side, Tadic floating between the lines, really were playing very well. I, th- I thought on 10 minutes, uh, just before Mitrovic hit the post to create that chance, he did that very slow dummy, defenders slid out the way. I was like, I've seen this before. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, obviously, very nicely worked corner uh, for Cameroon. Uh, and Serbia took a bit of time to pick themselves up, I thought, after that. But when they picked themselves up, boy, did Ooh. they pick themselves up. Pavlovic, a thumping header. And I think the goal celebration of the cup so far. His first name is obviously Strahinia, uh, which means great terror. Obviously, terrorizing Cameroon defense at that particular moment. Seriously, they yeah. gave him that name. That's that's. Her parents after, must have loved him. Is it after Gordon Strachan? <laughs> <laughs> that's remarkable. But anyway, that made it one-one, and then your friend uh, Sergei Milinkovic Savage put Serbia in front. Uh, not long after. But it was, it was very cute the way that goal was created because if you recall, Zambanguisa is trying to sort of flick the ball over his head and he knows he's flicking at around the front player but Milinkovic Savic comes around the back because he knows the ball is coming and Zambanguisa doesn't know he's there. So he stole the ball and the finish was a bit awkward for a goalkeeper but I think Onana saves that um, yeah. in, 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 in that particular moment. So I think there you could tell this is a reserve keeper as opposed to a first team goalkeeper and at that stage, like Serbia are flying deep into injury time. Wow, well, yeah, this is the injury time of the, the, the first the, half. The first team in World Cup history to score twice in first half injury time. Sorry, just I know you were you were desperate <laughs> to say that. But, I mean, if it was going to happen, maybe in the uh, the 10-minute vast right. planes of this <laughs> World Cup. Right. Well, then the second half gets underway. And what's this? Another Serbia goal. And what a goal, by the way. I mean, start to finish. So Tadic uh, robs, I think, Kongler in the middle of the park plays it to Mitrovic and I think after that it's all about Mitrovic Mitrovic goes with the ball defenders backtracking slips it wide to Kostic and then he Mitrovic just keeps going and the line of Cameroon defenders keep getting pushed back so there's a huge gap in front of them so Serbia played across Serbia played back to Mitrovic he taps it in again questions for the goalkeeper whether he should be rushing out I think to, to meet Zivkovic or not but 
it was like they were playing around cones. It was such a geometrically beautiful constructed goal. And I think for me, this is the goal of the tournament. Wow. 3-1 because there were some other... There was another goal coming up that a lot of people got very excited about. But anyway, 3-1. At this point, Cameroon look absolutely done. There's a bit of bickering going on on the bench. They're heading for their ninth straight World Cup defeat. They would be out of the competition unless they can somehow turn it around. And what does Rigobert Song do? He brings on... Abubakar. Abubakar. Yeah. And then... Did that work out particularly well? Wow. <laughs> Reader, he scored one of them. I would say uh, the most memorable goal of this World Cup so far. Really? Yeah, just um, very rare thing. I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, Karol Baborski did it in Euro '96, but so yeah, he breaks through and then he's right in front of the keeper. And I mean, you you could do a step over and go round him, but he attempts the uh, the scoop shot, relatively rare, gets incredible vertical lift, so much so that when it bounces down on the goal line. It almost goes over. It kind of hits the roof of the net as well. So um, aesthetically beautiful. Yeah, but he doesn't. He doesn't believe he scored. Did you see his reaction? I don't think. I think there was a moment in that build-up where everyone kind of went, "Ah, he's offside." Mm. Well, so this is this was the suggestion that he only tried that audacious shot because he thought it doesn't matter. This is a free shot because they're going to put the flag up anyway, and they did put the flag up. But then on review. They said, no, that was uh, that was absolutely fine. Justin writes in and says, after Abubakar's goal, will commentators stop complaining about assistant referees keeping their flag down, which is, of course, the entire rationale for them not doing it in the VAR age, because if it subsequently proved to be wrong, then at least they have an interrupted play. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that is essentially why they do it, and we would have been robbed of, of that goal. Mm. Um, yeah. It was amazing. But also with that VAR, it's these fine margins because these were precisely the margins by which, say, Argentina got caught, caught offside all those times against Saudi Arabia. So maybe I, th- I think it's certainly a little bit of luck because I don't think Abubakar can see that. I think it's Milenkovic on the far side who's playing him on. He cannot see that. So I think he, uh, time is run, of course, to perfection. Maybe he can feel it with his sixth sense. But um, he helped him again a few minutes later. Okay, yeah, because he wasn't done, was he, Duncan? Yeah, just three minutes later, we do have these, you know, bursts of goals at this World Cup, um, which is quite interesting. I think, you know, there's often the, you know, the most dangerous time is when you've scored, but it seems to be flipped around in this World Cup. It's like it's even more dangerous for you when you just let one in. But yeah, Abubakar breaks through again and then plays a ball uh, across the penny box for everyone's favourite Champions League superstar, Eric Choupo-Moting, to uh, to knock home, to make it 3-3. And you know we've we've suffered through a lot of fairly low scoring games and i think to get a to get a 3-3 was uh, was delightful it was a treat wasn't it sasha i was wondering actually looking at that because just as abubakar came on strahinia pavlovich uh, was actually struggling with injury. He was withdrawn a minute later. A minute later, so I wonder whether Song saw that the defender was struggling and decided to put someone on right again, up up against him. But also, I think the second effect of that is a new defender comes on. The line isn't what it should be. So perhaps actually great management from Song exploiting immediately that situation that he saw unfold in front of him. Meanwhile, was that Serbia blowing qualification? They were three one up against the Cameroon side that does nothing but lose at World Cups and was and, and seemed to be kind of falling apart with internal strife. I, th- I think it changes the equation for Serbia for what they have to do in the final game. They still need the result against Switzerland, but now if they, say, battered Cameroon, they would have just needed a draw. Uh, now they need to beat Switzerland, which in a way could actually make things simpler in everyone's mind in the way that they approach the game. And I think certainly if you look at today's match, they were okay. They were up against Cameroon, not Brazil, but I think with Kostic there, there's a lot more thought to what they were doing. They seemed to tie it towards the end, but then, interesting, they did still f- kept on still finding a lot of space 
towards the end of the match. So I think it's going to be an interesting clash of stars. I mean, we saw that Switzerland can defend absolutely superbly and they only need a draw and Serbia need to unlock that defense. So yeah, maybe it's going to be quite, quite not the most fun of watches, but I think it's certainly going to be um, a very intriguing match. And obviously there is a backstory to this as well, 2018 World Cup. I think Albanian players from Switzerland basically making the game for Switzerland against Serbia. It's very much celebrating mm. politically, shall we say. And I think Serbia have held on to their grudge. One of three very highly charged matchups that we've got awaiting us this week because there's that one. There's also, as we heard before, Ghana-Uruguay because South Africa 2010 and all that. And also USA-Iran, which just happens to be coming up on Tuesday. We'll talk about that next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Incredible game. When they play with a false nine, it changes everything. A false nine, eh? What's that then? Well, it's, um, <laughs> you know, it's what he's, he's a nine, but he's not really a nine in the area and... Uh, Oh, sorry, I just got to take that. Urgent football question? Call the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline. 0800 433 433. News, insights, analysis, The Athletic. Know the game, love the game. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Tuesday at the World Cup. Woohoo! It's the make or break, in or out, go big or go home, final round of group stage games for A and B on Tuesday. What's coming up in Group A? Well, three o'clock UK time. Netherlands play Qatar. Netherlands need a point to seal their place in the knockout rounds. Qatar already out. Ecuador, at the same time, will be facing Senegal. Senegal have to win to advance. For Ecuador, a draw will be enough. In Group B, meanwhile... Wales take on England. England could go through even if they lose that game. Wales might not make it even if they win. And the other game in that group, which will also be at 7 o'clock in the evening UK time, 
is Iran against USA, which is, I think, legitimately massive. Firstly, because it's, well, Iran and USA. And secondly, because it could turn out to be pretty much a playoff for the last 16. Iran's second in the group, a point ahead of their opponent's USA. USA thus need a win to go through to the last 16. A draw might be enough for the Persians. We're going to hear views now on both sides of Tuesday's big matchup. First of all, on the USMNT, here's Sam Stayskull. England was was huge, but this is effectively more huger. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a knockout game for the US. They have to win. If they don't, they go home. If they win, they're through. Very simple scenario. Um, and, and yeah, so they're, they're, getting their, they're getting their knockout round started early here in Qatar. Mm. The England performance uh, by the US team, it, it showed a, a young side kind of growing game by game. Still, still yet to concede from open play as well. But now, after two draws, you really need a win. Yeah, and, and you know, I think one of the main stories, there were a few main stories for me from Friday. One was that the U.S. performed really well um, in a lot of different areas in the field, had a little bit of a tactical tweak with what they did with their midfield, and, and everybody, I thought, acquitted themselves really nicely. Having said that, they weren't able to score a goal, which has been a, a trouble spot for them for a long time now, not just here in Qatar. Um, and it sort of drove home to me watching the Wales-Iran match earlier in the day on Friday how much of an opportunity the U.S. missed in the opener to get all three points. Had they won that match, gotten the point against England, they're sitting in great shape right now where they just need a draw to go through. Instead, you know, they gave up the late equalizer. They weren't able to capitalize on some of the chances they had earlier in the match. And now they're in a position where they need a win against an Iran team that is going to be fighting tooth and nail to mm. prevent that from happening. Sure, and a run team that also looked a lot better in their second game, beating Wales 2-0 with those late, late goals. Sam, the US flourished against an England side that were pretty open, gave them some room to play into. Iran probably not going to be quite as expansive. You might need someone to do something special to open this up. Who do you think needs to step up? I mean, Christian Pulisic has historically been the guy for the US to do it in the big moments. I thought he was actually pretty good against England, and I thought he had some good moments against against Wales, too. Um, but he, he tends to fade in and out of games at times. I, I'm certainly looking for him to have a big performance. Uh, Gio Reyna is a guy that can break a game open in a single moment. Tim Weah, I think, has been quite good so far this tournament. Um, and, and then we'll see what happens at striker, because the U.S. hasn't really gotten anything out of that position, not just at this tournament, but really, I mean, since before the start of qualifying last September. Um, it's long been a trouble spot for them, and I, I'm really curious if, if Berhalter decides to not play one of his three traditional strikers on the roster and instead move Reyna or maybe Weya into that number nine position and, and get an extra, better, more talented attacker on the field. Okay. The last time these two teams met at, uh, in a World Cup was 1998, and it was described as the mother of all games. It's got its own Wikipedia page, although to be fair, it's actually quite a a boring one uh, but does this game carry much of the kind of whole feeling and, and, and baggage that that fixture had um, maybe not quite as much but the baggage I would say has increased over the last 24-48 hours um, so US soccer on Saturday they tweeted out a picture of the group B standings on that picture were the flags of the four teams in group B the Iran flag however had been edited so they have an the Islamic Republic emblem in the middle of that flag. U.S. soccer took it off 
in this in this graphic that they put out on their social media. Um, that caused a pretty big controversy. Uh, Iran lodged or planned to lodge a complaint with FIFA. Um, U.S. Soccer ended up deleting the tweets. Um, they said that they had done it to show support for women in Iran fighting for basic human rights. Um, but you know the the players and the coaches and the technical staff were not consulted or informed of this decision ahead of time. Um, it was also just a bit bizarre because it's it's great to show support for the women in Iran as they're fighting for their rights right now. And um, obviously, there's you know really serious things going on in that country, far more serious than a World Cup. But to do it in a way where it's like just on a graphic and it's a little tiny flag as part of a larger design and people may or may not even notice, um, it seemed strange. And then to go back and delete it after people started noticing made me think that this whole thing was not very thought out um, and sort of sloppy. So that's added to the storyline here a bit. Um, in a way that, at least on the field, could have some negative implications for the mm. US. You might be all right. Jurgen Klinsmann might have taken the heat off you. <laughs> Perhaps. Although, you know, this news cycle, how fast it's going. They may have already forgot about Jurgen and, uh, and moved on to the US. So we'll see how it goes. But, yeah. Let's hope the thinking's a little bit more joined up on the field then, Sam. Thank you very much and uh, look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks so much, guys. Sam Stayschool. There's loads of coverage of the USMNT's build-up over at theathletic.com. Meanwhile, though, what of Iran? Iran, who were beaten 6-2 by England in their opening game, but bounced back with that remarkable finale and a 2-0 victory over Wales. 98th minute, they got the first of their goals. Basil McDaddy joins us now to tell us how that leaves the Iran team. All right, 98th minute against Wales. Most dramatic moment of the World Cup to that point, I would say. How was it for you? I mean, it was stressful. Stressful, I think, stressful for for 85 million Iranians uh, who were watching that. It just looked like Iran wasn't going to get the goal, even with the man advantage. Uh, I have to say that the way the match unfolded, uh, they sort of weren't their best in the opening uh, 20 minutes or so. Kiefer Moore had that um, had that chance. They grew into the match in the second half. They did create a lot of chances. But the one thing that, that stood out to me was, you know, Mehdi taught him. He kept having these chances from like 30 yards out with the Welsh defenders backing up. And, you know, I felt like me and, and everybody else watching that match was just begging him to shoot. And he never shot. And then, you know, on comes chess, man. You're thinking, what? why? Why, why is he coming on? Um, and he does do exactly what uh, the Iranian fans were begging Tadami to do. He takes that um, shot from outside of the box that was there and just buries it in the corner. And just, you know, pure, pure elation um, and a great match. I think one of the matches that um, sort of symbolizes the World Cup, two teams that don't really uh, meet each other quite often, um, uh, coming together and playing what I think was a, a really, really good match, despite it being 0-0 for, you know, 90-odd minutes. Yeah, Chesme, who'd been taken off in the first game against England, which obviously didn't go well for him or for uh, Team Meli either. What what was the big difference, do you think, between those two performances? Um, I I do think that England were were great in the in the first game. You can't really take that away from them. But one of the things that I I think gets overlooked is the role of a, a goalkeeper um, in in the work that 
the goalkeeper needs to do aside from just saving shots. You know, the a goalkeeper, especially when you play the type of um, low block defensive plan that Iran uh, aimed to play in that first game, a goalkeeper is really kind of like the central nervous system for that back line and even for the players that are in further afield, right? So I do think the Berenvand injury uh, was a big, 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 big uh, blow to, to Iran. I mean, I don't know if uh, listeners to this podcast believe in the expected goal stat, but I think the expected goals for uh, England was ju- just under three. And look, I also think that there is a gulf in quality between England and the other teams in the group. No disrespect to Wales or the U.S. or, or even Iran. I thought England just approached that game really well. They smelled blood in the water, uh, the Ben Van injury, and it's just a combination of factors. And I do think people also overlook the fact that Iran didn't give up. Yeah, they gave up six goals. They mm. did score twice, though. And I think they used that as sort of um, a platform to regroup and uh, get a crucial three points against Wales. Okay. So for the second World Cup in a row, it comes down to the final group game for Iran. Last World Cup, 2018, really desperate final moments in that in that draw with Portugal. So much drama there. Ronaldo with a penalty saved by Beren Vand. Uh, and, and then Iran with a penalty in the 93rd minute and the late attempts to try and get the goal that would have taken you through. Is Iran ready to go through all of that again? I think they are. Um, I think this is just what this team is about. Um, if you kind of look at the sidelines when the breakthrough came, came uh, to be and then the second goal went in, it was just... Um, sort of like a weight was lifted off of uh, the shoulders of every player. Obviously, we've touched upon um, just everything that's going around this Iranian team outside of football. And it seems that more and more pressure is being put on them, you know, whether it's uh, journalists asking questions that Carlos Kerosh deems unfair, whether it's Jurgen Klinsmann in the analysis box uh, for BBC saying things that, you know, I I think are kind of unkind towards uh, the Iranian team and Carlos Kerosh. I think they are ready to um, to take this this match with uh, by, by by their own hands and and get the the point. I mean, keep in mind that they only need a point. Uh, the U.S. needs to win here, uh, and if it does unfold like it did against Portugal four years ago, I think everybody would take that because that would mean um, you know not as long as England doesn't uh, lose to Wales, uh, Iran are guaranteed a place in the knockout round for the first time in their history. So uh, I do feel that. Uh, getting those crucial three points against Wales in the fashion that they did has has set this team up for um, potential success on Tuesday. All right. Potentially the first ever appearance in the knockout stages. Brilliant. Basil, thank you so much. Thanks, Jimbo. Basil McDaddy. Oh, this game is going to be amazing, isn't it? 7 o'clock UK time, 10 o'clock in Qatar. So it's a late one. You're going to be watching that or over on the other side, Wales, England, Duncan? I mean, dual it up, surely. Yeah, dual screens? Yeah, big time, yeah. I mean, obviously, the 98 World Cup, Iran knocked USA out. It was Roy Wegley's first and last start in a World Cup game. So um, fans of silky mid-90s footballers um, should rejoice. Top Roy Wegley content, good. Uh, meantime, on the other side, at 7 o'clock, as they both are, Wales against England. No Wayne Hennessy for Wales, so Danny Ward will be stepping in, Sasha. Perhaps might be a bit of a redemption from him. Um, if you maybe consider his first few minutes for Wales, like his first few games for Leicester, 
you can maybe label him as luckless Danny Ward comes on concedes two goals even though you know it wasn't really his problem because the Wales team in front of him played like they were three men down not one mm. in those closing stages uh, so it could be a bit of a redemption for him uh, but to me given Wales's performances so far and you know Bale and Ramsey were so disappointing in the previous match maybe it feels a little bit like a FA Cup third round game kind of Premier League against Championship wow. and I don't think I'm being too harsh on Wales here because at this tournament Wales have performed for maybe one half out of four so far and yeah the previous match was, was fairly discouraging stuff we've seen some teams pull enormous upsets out of nowhere though in these opening games so you know you can't rule it out England by no means sure of going through yet they're on four points Iran a point behind them with USA on two points and Wales bringing up the rear on just the one I mean, it's it's a World Cup of certain teams relying on, you know, elderly statesmen forwards. We saw it tonight with, with Ronaldo for Portugal and and Cavani and then Suarez came on. And But I think of all those sort of teams, Wales, as Sash was saying, they look the most disjointed. You know, Bale against the USA was so isolated in that match. And then again, you know, he's he's played the whole game in both matches and he's had the fewest touches in both games of, of players that have played the whole game. I mean, it's just... Now, I know that almost certainly means he's going to pop up with some sort of overhead kick against England, but it feels like a tournament, one tournament too far for Wales. Um, for England, I think, obviously everyone's talking about Phil Foden incessantly, um, but it's the other changes, because obviously four years ago, England were already through with two and up two, so Southgate pretty much gave, you know, hey squad, who wants a game, you know, at the World Cup sort of thing. He can't obviously do that this time, but I do think maybe some more changes than just Phil Foden because England are pretty much through. Mm. You know. so yeah, I said is, they weren't, but I'm just looking at it now. So then he's still 4-0. E- even with a defeat, they can go mm. through. I mean, if England lose by four goals to right. Wales, they should not only leave this World Cup, but refuse <laughs> to come to at least the next three, I would say. Bold words, Duncan. That's at 7 o'clock anyway with the USA-Iran game. And earlier on, 3 o'clock, there's Netherlands, Qatar and Ecuador-Senegal. Of course... Totally at the World Cup will be along on Tuesday night with our thoughts on how those games pan out. Dramatic. So do make sure you join us for that. For the meanwhile, that brings us to the end of today's show. So many thanks to Duncan and to Sasha and to Basil and Sam and, of course, Carl and producer Charlie and listener you. Have a great day and we'll catch up with you next time. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.